Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We have several of our own away this morning. Uh, our youth, or many of our youth, are at Rush Reaching Unlimited Spiritual Heights, which is a program at Fred Hardeman University this weekend. And then we have a retreat that is taking place of our young marrieds, and we uh, hope that their weekends have been going well. I know that. I've heard that uh, Ryan Modrell has uh, responded to the Lord's invitation yesterday at Rush, and he asked for forgiveness of sins, and we're thankful for his tender heart and his willingness to dedicate his life with greater fervency to the Lord. God gives us a lot of good opportunities, and we want to make sure that we take advantage of all of those. One of those coming up is October the 5th, Family Day. Uh, you probably have it already marked on your calendar, but be inviting folks. Be prayerful about it. Figure out what you can do to make it the best that it can be for God's glory. Obviously, invite your family, but keep in mind the theme is family, and so invite your friends. It is a day geared to inviting friends also, most definitely. And so invite your friends. The theme of the day will be applying God's love to the family. And our counselor, Brother Bud Lambert, will be the speaker and he does a tremendous job. He gets down to the meat of the word and always presents a very challenging lesson that will help us in our relationships and this time in our relationship with families. So make sure that you're listening for announcements. Greg Coles can answer questions and concerns that you have about that. We will be eating a meal together and that's always enjoyable. And so be listening for ways that you can be involved in that. A woman's car stalled in traffic. As she was trying to crank her car, a car behind her, the gentleman, maybe not really a gentleman, but the man continued to blow and to blow and to blow the horn. Not being able to crank the car, finally she went back to the fellow's window. And she said, look, I can't start my car. Maybe you could go up and help crank it, and I'll stay back here and honk your horn for you. Now, that brings us to a real good question as we think about opportunities that are around us on a daily basis. Are you one that does a lot of honking about it? Are you the one that actually says, let's do it, and then actually does it? You see, there's a big difference in talkers and doers. From Portland, Tennessee, this was written. Which are you? Two brothers once lived down this way. One was due... The other was say. If the streets were dirty, the taxes high, the schools were crowded, say would cry, what, my town? But brother do would set to work and make things new. And while do work, say would cry, he does it wrong. I know that I could do it right. So all the day was heard the clank of brother say, but this one fact was never hid. Say always talked, do always did. You see, this morning, we're in a life of a congregation that is full of individuals that are the doers. We're blessed to be in a congregation where so many people are actively serving God, taking the gifts and abilities that God has given them and putting them into action. As we think about in this fall quarter of sharing the ancient words, this morning we have a very wonderful lesson that will be taught in all the adult classes is to help us realize that even though we have the Great Commission, in the sense everybody has that, 
we have different methods in which we carry that out based upon the gifts or the abilities that God has given us. For example, when we look in Acts, the second chapter, we see Peter carrying out the Great Commission as he convicted the Jews there of their sins, urging them to turn back to the Lord. But yet when Paul taught those in Acts, the 17th chapter, he didn't use as much conviction as he did intellectual facts and arguments. He even quoted some of their own poets. And yes, he did end with an urgency to repent, but the approach was so much different. Then we go to John, the fourth chapter. We see another method of evangelism. You remember the Samaritan woman? We don't read of her teaching anyone, but everyone in that town was taught. You remember why? She went out and she invited the whole town to come hear Jesus. There are a lot of people that can't teach. God didn't give them the ability to teach. But wow, when those people are on fire to make sure that they do what they can do, we can't invite. Oh, and then there's Levi. We better know him as Matthew, the tax collector. Remember, he used friendship evangelism and probably used it very effectively. Whenever he was converted, he invited all of his friends. The Pharisees would say they were all sinners. Invited all of the tax collectors and the sinners to his house because he also invited Jesus to his house. He wanted his friends to meet Jesus. He used the social network that he had been given in life to use that for God's glory of trying to bring people to the Lord. And then, remember the blind man? The blind man, at the point that we read about him being healed in the Scriptures, didn't know a lot about Jesus Christ. So when people came up asking him about how he now could see, he gave the testimony that it was Jesus. He did know what Jesus had done for him. Friends, a powerful method is to be able to tell the reason of the hope that is called within us. Why is it that you're a child of God? When's the last time that you've shared with someone how wonderful it is? What a blessing it is. The difference that Jesus has made in your life as a way to be a motivation for an invitation to come to a Bible class, come to a worship service. Would you like to study the Scriptures? You see, when we look through the pages of the Scriptures, we never see one and only one method esteemed above other methods and ways of reaching others. But what we see every time is we see individuals taking the abilities that God has given them and the opportunities that God has given them and doing wonderful things. The text that has just been so capably read for us, we have the story of Dorcas. Dorcas was one that we don't read of her teaching Bible class. We don't read of her going about the whole community and, and teaching all of those that didn't know Jesus. But what we do know is that whenever she died, the widows gathered around and the fruit of her labors were being held before Peter and the other saints because that woman had taken the gifts that God had given her and she used them in such a way that the fruit of her life was still in existence after her life was over. What a beautiful, beautiful example. Do you remember, if you will, turn back in your Bible to Acts, the first chapter. I want us to remember one verse from last week and then build upon that principle. And Acts, the first chapter, you remember we talked about last week, Christ's continual work? You remember Acts 1 and verse 1, the former account I made? 
Now this is Luke writing this, and the former account, of course, was the gospel of Luke. And remember he said, the former account I made. In other words, when I wrote the book of Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, notice this, began both to do and to teach. Now remember, we talked last week about what was contained within the gospel of Luke, about the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the compassion that Jesus showed for others, the servant heart that we see in Jesus. We even saw his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. And in the book of Luke, we even see the ascension of Jesus. And what does Luke call it? Friends, we're not making this up. We're not twisting scripture. Luke called all of that that we just described the beginning of all that Christ did and said. Wait a minute. Luke, you just described a man's life, his death, and even his ascension, and you're telling me now that's only the beginning of his work? Yes, because the book of Acts is literally the continuation of Christ's work. I know we call it Acts of the Apostles, but the truth is it's the Acts of Jesus Christ. It's the continual work that Jesus did. And Christ's work did not stop with the Apostles. Christ's work continues this week in the lives of this church family as we go out and we use the gifts, the abilities that God has given us and the opportunities that God has given us to magnify Him to allow others to see Jesus, to promote Jesus, to urge others to think about their soul. When we do that, Christ's work is continuing in us. Look back now to Acts the ninth chapter, and as you're looking back at Acts 9, I'd like to take your eyes to the paragraph before. These were neighboring cities. And in these neighboring cities, look in verse 32. I'd like for you to glance at that with me, those four verses there. In this paragraph, now it came to pass that Peter went through all the parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. Now, when he says he went through all the parts of the country, that fulfilled what we studied last week in Acts the first chapter in verse 8 where it was going to start in Jerusalem and Judea and then it was going to spread throughout all of Judea and then he says throughout Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. You see what's taking place now is that spreading Because Christ told the apostles his work was going to continue and his work was going to spread far beyond Jerusalem. And so that's what's happening. Now notice what he finds here in 33. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Now now what is the book of Acts about? It's about the continual work of Jesus. Notice, he didn't say, I'm Peter and I'm an apostle and I'm going to heal you. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's been ascended into heaven for a good while now. What's happening? The work of Christ is continuing. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And then the next paragraph at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha and her name was also Dorcas in another translation. And what we find there was that she was resurrected from the dead. How did that take place? Because Christ's work was continuing. But what did Dorcas do? Did she go about and heal people? Did she go about and resurrect people from the dead? No. Was she a Christian then? What's wrong? 
Why wasn't she doing everything that the teachers were doing? Why wasn't she doing healing like other Christians were doing? Or was it that God gave each individual their particular tasks, their particular gifts, and God expects each one to do their part? Look with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And we're going to look at something first that is fundamental. And then I I want us to look at something toward the end of this chapter that I tell you, I've never noticed this before. It's one little word, but it really brought a lot of insight to to my studies as, as I look in the story of Dorcas. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, notice there, beginning of verse 4, He's going to mention the Godhead, God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father. And he's showing that there's unity in the Godhead. Just as we have different gifts and abilities, there ought to be unity among us because these gifts all came from the same source. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. In other words, someone over here has the gift uh, to teach or to preach, and someone else over here has the gift of mercy or to encourage others. And, and, and one tries to boast and say that their gift is better. And you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where would your gift come from? Both your gifts came from the same source. How should your gifts be used? Both gifts should be used to magnify the one source. And so the reminder here is unity. We have the various gifts, but we're all using them for one purpose, and that is to magnify God. Look in verse 5. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. When we look at the life of this church, we see many, many ministries. One's not more important than the other. The Lord designed the church to have many ministries. Look at verse 6. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. There are going to be different gifts that's given to different individuals. Different ministries will be fulfilled by those different gifts. There will be different activities within the different ministries. We can't look around and say, everybody ought to be doing the ministry I'm in. Everybody doesn't have your gift, your ability. We can't look around and say, my ministry is the most important. Everybody's important. God has created it this way. And so, in this story this morning... Do we say that Peter's more important or do we say that Dorcas is more important? In the first century, did we say the ministry of healing was more important or was the ministry of giving clothing to those that were suffering in poverty? You see how ridiculous it sounds? But how many times do we do that? How many times do we go to someone who does not share the same ability we have and we strong arm them? Oh, you need to be involved in this ministry. We're going such and such day this week. We're going to do this. You need to come do this. It's wonderful to be excited. It's wonderful to get invitations. It's wonderful to try to help people grow. Don't misunderstand that, but please understand this. If my mindset is because I do a particular ministry, everybody else ought to do it. And if they're not, they're less than what I am. I have totally misunderstood the teachings in Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4 and in in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Those passages make it very clear. God intentionally gave various gifts to various people, various ministries, and various ministries will have various activities. But we are all in this together, one body. So why do we have these gifts, these ministries? Look at verse 7. For the manifestation of the Spirit, this is what is going to be known of the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. You see, everybody has a gift. So we use our gift how? For the profit of all. You see, that's the test. Am I using my gift to profit others? Dorcas. 
what would happen if she would have walked in on any given Sunday? She was a New Testament Christian. What would have happened if she'd have walked in on Sunday? And let's just say this was a pattern of her life. Apparently she was very skilled at what she did. Apparently she had the resources to not only clothe herself, but to clothe many other people. What if she just decided that the gift God gave her to work with her hands was for her? And she bought nice fabrics and made herself nice garments. And she walked in on Sunday as if it were a fashion show. And when she noticed that others did not have, she didn't see it as a need. She saw it as comparison. Look, I'm doing so much better than they're doing. They really ought to work. They really ought to get a better job. They really ought to do something because look at me. I work hard. I stayed up last night to midnight making this fancy outfit. Look at me. Look how many times a gift has been given to a Christian. God gave that gift to a Christian for them to serve someone in their family, in their church family, or in their community That's why God gave it to them. And they used it for a selfish purpose and arrogantly walked by the very person God gave them that gift to serve. Isn't that a shame? Our gifts are given to us for the purpose or for the blessing of all. When we want to talk about evangelism, one of the greatest tools of evangelism is service. When the congregation is full of people that say, I want to serve. Well, what are some of these gifts that were given to the first century church? Skip down and read verse 28. 1 Corinthians 12 and 28. And God has appointed these in the church. This is the first century church because we read about apostles. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing. You know, that's what Peter had. We saw it right there in the same two paragraphs. Have you ever noticed, out of all the times you've read 1 Corinthians 12, have you ever noticed the next word? The next word. He's talking about gifts of healing, comma, helps. Comma. God gives the gift of helps. God gives individuals the gift to be able to help others. Some may be a one talent or a two talent or a five talent. Dorcas, I don't know if you would say she was a one talent that just used that one talent so much that she couldn't be missed. Her fruit could not be overlooked. But isn't it interesting, we only read of one particular gift that God gave her, but she used that gift to help others. He talks about also the gift of administration. We have elders, deacons, uh, and then a variety of tongues. But notice 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. In the next chapter, that excellent way is the chapter of love. In other words, the way for us to help others is to truly love, to love God first and to love others and to have a servant's heart, which goes back to last week's lesson in Philippians, the second chapter, where we truly can esteem others better when we truly have an interest in them. Where like Jesus, we have the mind of Christ. We take on not just the act of a servant, but the form of a servant. We become a servant because we want to help others. 
It's that genuine compassion. As we go back to our text in Acts the ninth chapter, I'd like for you to notice with me this next slide as we just think about some bullet facts from the text that has just been read with us. Number one, if we were going to describe this servant, if we were going to describe this servant that made a difference in the life of her congregation and the community that surrounded her, number one, we see a woman who's described of full of good works. Now, if a glass of water is full, one more drop will send it over the top. How much good works did she do? Her life was full of good works. If I understand that concept right, that means when she went into her house, she did good works for her family. When she went into the community, she did good works for her community. When she went into her church family, she did good works for her church family. In other words, if our life is full of good works, that means where we go, we do good. But notice, he doesn't stop there because this next compliment gives us the setting for this story. Not only full of good works, but also of charitable deeds. You see, it's one thing for me to be good to my family. And and that's not taking anything away from that. That's what Christians are to be. We're to be good to our families. We're to be good to our church family. But there's something else that God calls us into service. And that is to always have an open eye for those in need. Notice there he says in charitable deeds, the alms deeds. It literally is to have a uh, a benevolent heart. It is literally to have the exercise of good works for those who are in poverty. God gives some the gift to be able to do that in an extraordinary way. If God's given you that gift, use it. All of us need to have eyes that are open and a heart that feels compassion. But there will be some that that will be a much greater gift in their life. God will give you greater opportunities. As we look in her life, notice that phrase, and this is still in verse 36, that really sets all of this off. Not only to say this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds. Notice the end of that. Which she did. It doesn't matter what my gift or ability is, I need to apply this to my life this morning. It is easy for us to get excited about the good that can be done. And we talk about the potential and we make plans and we dream big. We talk a lot. We plan a lot. We talk a lot. We plan a lot. We talk a lot. We plan a lot. But friends, it means nothing if we can't say along with Dorcas, which... She did. You go stand at the funeral home next to your beloved and you see which one brings comfort. The people that had planned on coming by are the ones that did. You be hungry are fearful for the fact that you're getting up in the morning and there's not enough food in the cupboards to send lunch for your child to school. And you see which one comforts you. The people that just thought about helping people in need are the people that did help the one in need. You hear a spiritual snag and you fall on your face and you suffer from embarrassment and regret. And you see which are the ones that help you back up. 
the ones that talk about how good it is to reach down and, and to help a brother and sister up are the ones who reach down and help a brother and sister up. Friends, I've got to realize that one of the greatest things that I can do in evangelism is find the gift that God has given me and be very intentional to use it for God's glory. But then to emphasize that point, do it. What can I do for God's glory to be intentional about it? Not to take the credit. Not so people will say, boy, that's the best neighbor I ever had. But so people would say, give God the glory for that. What can I do? What can I do? But notice, notice her fruit that was left behind, that third line. As we look down in the scriptures, we see that the widows, they wept. You see down in 39 at the very end, they showed the garments that she made. You see her fruits followed her. It's just a measure that we all need to ask ourselves. I'm not trying to be over the top with this, but think with me for a moment. If you and I passed away this very moment, what works would be left behind that individuals could say, this is what they did for me. This is a fruit of their labor. Ephesians 2 and 10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Revelation 14, 13, he talks about those that die in the Lord and he says they'll rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Dorcas she was created for good works. She went out and did the good works. She died and her good works did follow her. That is a pattern that God has given those that do it. What would continue on in people's lives, in their memories, in their hands, in ministry? What would continue on because we lived, because we did something? And then finally... I'd like for you to look at that fourth point there, and it comes out of verse 41. You see at the end of 41, when Peter resurrected her from the grave, he says, he presented her alive. Now, right before that, he says he called the saints and the widows. He calls together the church in that instance, the saints, that's the holy ones. He called together the church. He called together the widows, and he presented her alive. I, I think this has two meanings. One is obvious. She was dead and now he's presenting her. Look, she is alive. But notice he presented her to them. This morning if I said I'm going to present you an award, you know that that doesn't mean I keep the award. If I present you with an award, I give you the award. What did he do with Dorcas? He gave her back to the people. Why? Because if he was doing, don't miss this point, if he was doing what was best for Dorcas, he would have left her on the other side. Chew on that one this week as you drive to work. Turn the radio off and meditate on that one. If he was going to do what was best for Dorcas, she would have remained on the other side, being, having been carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. Nothing had ever been so wonderful for her as to step over as a faithful child of God on the other side. But the people, the people felt so much that they needed her works that we see one of the few exceptions in all of mankind where God says, I'll bring this one back and present her back to them. It's awesome. 
a woman that we only read of one gift. I'm not saying she only had one. That's all we read of, though. We only read of one gift. And she used it in such a powerful way to make such an impact on the lives of others that God says, Peter, bring her back. It'll bring glory and honor to to God showing power over death. But it also will give back to this group of people somebody that they apparently need this morning. What can you and I do? What can we do? I want to close by giving you an illustration. Several years ago, I spoke four or five times in one day at a congregation in another state on evangelism. In two of the lessons, this was the point that I was making, was for us to find our place in the body and use it in a way to glorify God. That night, after the invitation, I was going to have to leave after the invitation song to make it back to the airport. Two deacons gave me a ride back to the airport. They were nice. They were very supportive in many ways. They really were. But they were really aggravated that I didn't make the point that everybody has to be a teacher. I talked with them about various verses that God didn't give everybody the gift of teaching. And they never did agree. And they remained somewhat perturbed at my teachings that day. Friends, I'm not trying to add or take anything away from the Scriptures, but if I understand the Scriptures right today, this room is not going to be full of individuals that God's given the ability to teach. But I do believe that the Scriptures clearly teaches God's given everybody here an ability that they can use to evangelize. You can use your ability to bring attention to Jesus. You can bring your ability, you can use your ability to bring people closer to the Lord. You can bring people to worship. You can bring people to a Bible study by the way that you serve. And if God's given you the ability to teach, teach with all of your heart and do the very best that you can do with it. But whatever ability God has given you today, Let's all be Dorcas types. Let's be the type of person that says, Lord, whatever ability, whatever opportunity you've given me, I want to use it for your glory. Right now, God's given us all the opportunity to make our life right with Him. His invitation is always open, but we're about to sing a song of invitation. And if your life isn't right with God, why not make it right? If you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins and be and confess Jesus before others and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, would you do that this morning? It's the Lord's invitation. It's not our invitation. We're simply trying to exalt the Lord and encourage others to do that in their life. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ, but yet you realize you haven't been exalting Christ. You want to turn away from that and turn back to Him. If you need to pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.